I'm Katie, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you and your family are here, and we would love to get connected with you. One easy way you can do that is text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website, therivertrch.cc, to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Uh, We started off and we had my mom in town for a, a good period of time, and then my sister came into town with one of her friends, and we had them in town for a period of time, and then this week we had my in-laws in town for, uh, for the weekend, and they're here this morning, and so we've had all this family in town, and, uh, and we have some family coming in actually next weekend as well, but naturally when we've had a lot of family in town, the reaction has been, all right. Many hands make light work. Like, let's do some yard work. Let's do some work around the house. Uh, because, you know, y'all are family. It's not like uh, outside company. And so they came in, and my mom and my sister, they helped us uh, completely rebuild uh, our back porch and uh, back steps and, uh, you know, refresh, like, our fire pit and stuff like that. We had some fires out there. And it was a great time, and then this last week, uh, we completely redid the landscaping at the front of our house and rebuilt the steps there and uh, refinished the deck out front, and so it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Our house actually looks like people live in it uh, now, which has been fun, and, uh, and there's kind of been two main thoughts that have been going through my mind as we've been doing yard work and as we've been refreshing the house and, uh, and working together. And the first one is how grateful I am, right? Uh, I, I, the whole time I think about, oh, if Meg and I just had to do this by ourselves, it would take forever. And uh, there would most likely be bickering involved, right? And so so thankful that we have uh, a group of people working together, and it's so glad, good to be able to spend time with family Uh, And I'm just so thankful for the help that they had given us. But then there's another thought that comes through my mind. And that is, now I have to maintain all of this, right? Like, I... Before, when it was just a weeded, weed mess and when, you know, the, the stairs were broken, it was like, pff, you didn't really have to worry about maintaining it, right? Like, it's already broken, there's already weeds, so, like, I don't have to worry about pulling weeds because the weeds are our plants now, right? But now I'm thinking about, all right, we got this nice landscaping and, the you know, the deck's all built. We have to worry about maintaining it and make sure it's okay. We have to go through and pull weeds. We have to, you know, think about, all right, when do we need to restain the stairs or restain the deck? When do we need to take care of that stuff? And it's interesting because whenever you put in work and whenever you do outside projects like that, there's always kind of that push and pull, right, of gratitude and excitement because it's done. And then another pull of but there's still some responsibility that we have. And this morning, we're kind of coming to the end of Revelation. I've been saying that for the last couple weeks, but we only got, I think, two more weeks left. But we're coming to this end of this series of Revelation, and this morning we're taking a look at the final judgment. And this final judgment has in store for us some really great things. And then also, it brings along a sense of responsibility. 
And we're going to talk about what that looks like this morning. But before we do, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that this morning, as we look at what is to come, that we know we have assurance in our salvation because of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we have all this laid out before us and that you saw fit to reveal your grand plan to us. Lord, we love you. In your precious name, Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 20. Uh, and we're going to be Revelation chapter 20, uh, and we're going to be starting in verse 11. And, and so this morning as we jump into Revelation, it's important that we remember that Revelation is not meant to be this spiritual time capsule. I've said this before, but it's when, when, the, when Christ revealed himself to John, and John was recording the, the vision of Revelation, Jesus didn't say to him, hey, write all this down and bury it. And when the apocalypse comes, I'll make you know, X marks the spot, and they'll dig it up, and they'll have all this information on what's to come. No, he said, write all this down and send it out so that the world knows what's coming and that they can prepare and that they can live accordingly. And so this morning as we talk about judgment, as we talk about what is to come, we have to look at it through the lens of what does this mean for me today? What does this mean for me now? How does this change the way that I live and give me encouragement, give me assurance, but also help me to see how to live differently today? And so we're going to be picking up in Revelation chapter 20 and looking at the end of things, right? We've taken a look at the tribulation period where the seven seals and the seven trumpets and all that uh, that wrath that God poured out on the world and the Antichrist and him coming and him deceiving and Babylon and all these different things. And then last week, we looked at this period of a thousand years where Jesus comes and he reigns on earth. And there's this period of prosperity and there's this period where everyone looks and they, sees, they see Christ as king. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at this, these final battles that had happened uh, or that will happen, and after the millennium there will be this there will be this massive battle where satan will he will um, he will distract and he will lie to all the nations they 'll gather together and they 'll come against Christ and they 'll be completely wiped out and then after all that is where we pick up in verse eleven this morning it says this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, 
the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so we see this this moment of scripture that is, there's no other word for it but awesome. And we use that word awesome a lot, right? We, we use it to describe, you know, a cool skateboard trick or a funny video that we saw, right? But that idea of awesome is something that inspires nothing less than awe. That you can have no reaction other than, wow. And I can't help but think that all other uses of the word awesome will fade away at this moment when all passes away, right? There's no earth, there's no sky, there's nothing around other than this great white throne and God who is seated upon it, and we will look and we will say, that is truly awesome. That is truly inspiring. That is truly wow. And there's nothing going to be like it. And so we see uh, everything is destroyed. Everything is passed away. And there's only judgment left. And this moment where all the dead are lined up. And all in the sea are lined up. And everyone is lined up. And they're going to be judged. And that's you and I, right? We're going to be in that line. And we will be judged. And this moment of judgment is intimidating, right? I can, you can feel the, the anticipation or maybe the, the nerves that come alongside it of waiting to be judged by God who sees all, who knows all, who is in control, and he is judging. And we see that it lays out in this passage of Scripture the basis by which we will be judged upon. In verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And so the first basis by which we will be judged is by what we have done by the things that we have done in our life, by the choices we've made, by the things that we do, and how we have lived. And for me, I look at this and I go, oh no, (laughs) right? Oh no, if that's the basis by which I'm judged upon, I'm sunk. And scripture tells a very similar story. Turn to Romans 3.23. We actually looked at this passage last week when we were looking at Um, The idea of who Jesus was, and as Jesus is our priest, right, we want to live up, and we want to do things to try and earn God's favor, and Paul is very clear in Romans 3.23 that if it's based on what we've done, we're sunk. It says this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. You see, is if there is a measuring stick for how to get into heaven, there is a measuring stick on what to do. If there is this quote unquote good person that the world tries to tell us we can be, the bar is here, and we all are down here, right? Everything we do falls short. 
And the thing is, we're not even close. We're not even close. But thanks be to God that we have, like I spoke about last week, a great high priest who did not fall short, who lived without sin, and who lived a perfect life and died on the cross as our sacrifice. And through salvation that he offers, through faith in him, we have salvation. We have the propitiation, which I used last week, is the substitute. We have a substitute. That punishment by which we are judged on is not incurred to us, but instead incurred to Christ Jesus. But the thing is, there, this idea has crept up over the years that, okay, well, if, none have, if, if we all fall short and all we need is faith in Jesus Christ, then I can just live however I want. Right? This whole works, this judge by what we've done, this doesn't really matter at all. I'll just kind of sit there with my arms crossed and be like, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that. You know, but uh, let's just skip to the Jesus part, right? Where Jesus comes and takes my, my sins away. And the thing is, I think far more of us are skipping over this part of being judged by our works or judged by what we've done then we should. There's not going to be this moment of like, we're like, oh, skip past this, God. No, I think there's going to be a moment where we feel this intense weight of the guilt and shame that our sin is incurred in our lives. And we have to look and we have to say, are we living in a way that is looking to judgment? Now, yes, we know that we'll be forgiven. Yes, we know that Christ's death And resurrection paid our price, but we're still going to be judged on that basis. Our sin still incurs a debt. It's interesting. Turn with me to James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, he talks about this idea of what it means to work for the sake of God. And he says, a lot of you guys are talking about faith And you're treating faith, you're treating your belief in God like a meal ticket ticket to heaven's banquet. You're like, oh, you know, I got my meal ticket, I got my free voucher, and I'll I'll get in there, and I'll just skirt by, and I'll hang out, and, you know, it's not really important, as long as I get in. And he says, well, he goes, there's actually a way by which you can live to know that you have this salvation. He says, and it doesn't look like just living however you want and they're just saying you believe in God. He says, it looks very different. Start in verse 14 of James chapter two. In verse 14, it says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother Or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says to you, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also is faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith 
by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was it not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And there, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith a friend of God. Or sorry, not by faith alone. And in the same way, Was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He says, look, there's a lot of you that are saying, you know what? I don't need to do this whole Jesus thing. I don't need to do this whole serving thing. I don't need to do this whole reaching people with the gospel thing. I believe in God. That's enough. You know, I believe that he's real. I believe in him. And I believe that Jesus was who he says he was. Well, James is really clear. So do the demons. Are they saved? He says, no. He says, there's a difference. He says, it's this idea of faith. And what faith means is staking your life on the truth uh, that Jesus is Lord and that God is in control. And that through Jesus Christ, you have salvation. He says that faith is not defined by works, but it is shown by your works. When you start living as a person who says, I have faith in what Jesus has done. I have faith in the gospel. I have the faith that God is a good God who loves us and who judges justly and who sent Jesus Christ as salvation for me, you naturally start to live differently. After salvation, you naturally want to live a life to please and honor your Father in heaven. You desire to see him, the one who's sitting on the throne, honored by the life that you live. You live so that even though you know you won't earn your way to heaven, even though you know you won't live up to his glory, that it's not about you, it's about honoring him. And I think we miss that a lot of times. Right? We look and we say, you know, It's so difficult to live for Christ. There's not enough time to do everything that that Scripture calls us to do. Right? I have to put food on on the table for my family. I don't have the time to try and figure out how to read Scripture. I don't have the time to figure out my prayer life. To stop and be quiet. Don't you know how tired I am? I could never serve with students or kids. I can't sing, right? Don't put me on stage. So why even bother? And we get into that mindset, right, of like, uh, you know, I can't ever live up, so why try and live up? And we look at what James says, and he says, because if you have faith, 
you will work. You will serve. You begin to live differently because you see things differently. Yes, you are judged by your works in the end, and Christ steps in and provides you salvation. That doesn't mean that you still won't be judged according to your works. And so it's important that we work to honor the Lord, to honor our Father in heaven, and to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But then you turn back to Revelation. The next thing that we see is the truth of this salvation and where the salvation comes from, which is through Christ Jesus. And, it's, and if we continue in verse 14, it says this. In Revelation 20, starting in verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And earlier on, in verse 12, it says this other book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. And so we can look, and we know that Christ Jesus, right, as our high priest, he has provided this salvation for us through his death and resurrection. And we look, and we're excited, right? We can see that we have assurance in this judgment. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be just, oh, you know, judgment's coming. I don't know what's going to happen. No, you know what's going to happen. You're going to sit, and you're going to be judged, and you're going to be found guilty, and the punishment is going to go to Christ. And we are going to have salvation because our name is written in that book of life. The sacrifice of himself on the cross will pay our debt. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, we see this clear picture of what this salvation means and how, in its excitement, we're called to live. And in Titus chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. He's writing about what freedom means. What it means to live free. He says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to be redeemed, or to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself all people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He says there should be this time where we live and we are waiting, not in fear, but anxious because we have this blessed hope in this world where there's all this craziness and there's all this fear over wars and rumors of wars, as there's all this despair and all this hate, we should look around and say, we have a blessed hope that's waiting. We have a blessed hope that's waiting, and he's going to appear on this glorious 
day and we'll see our great God and our Savior, Christ Jesus. And you know what? He will welcome us as his own because he has paid our debt. He has redeemed us. He has purified us and we are his. And that should be exciting. That should be a joy. That should produce thankfulness. It should produce nothing less than excitement. Because it's exciting. Because we have this gospel, this truth, this good news, right? That salvation is provided to sinners. Because we all jump all the way back, right? Because we haven't done anything because we've messed up. Because we have fallen short. We have this great joy because even though all that is true, Christ loved us enough that he went to the cross and he died and we have this salvation and should produce this joy. And honestly, this is what it comes down to, the gospel. Right? Did you or did you not have faith in the truth of this gospel? Not believe it's true, but did you stake your life on it? That's how your name is in the book of life. That faith, that life devoted to the gospel. And you may look and say, you know what? I've done that. Justin, I'm good. Let's eat, right? Let's bring out the crock pots. Let's eat. I'm good. I've done that. I have that eternal salvation. It's set in stone. We're good. But as I look at this moment of judgment, it's very similar to when I look at my front yard that has been remulched and redone. There's a thankfulness, right? There is an excitement about, oh, I have this beautiful new mulch and deck and all this stuff. I look and I'm so thankful for the gift that I've been given of my family's work. But then there's a responsibility that should come. A feeling of responsibility that as we look to judgment, we see what the other side of judgment means. Turn back to verse 15. (coughs) It says this, And anyone's name that was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, the thing is, you can't talk about judgment without talking about the punishment. The punishment for a life that's been lived without faith, without salvation, without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, this, these verses, and as we see a thankfulness for the salvation we've been given, as we look and we see a thankfulness that we have an eternity with, with Christ in this new heaven and new earth, the realization comes, there are many others who will end up thrown in the lake of fire in eternal punishment in an eternity in hell. And and that's hard, right? 
We have coworkers. We have friends. We have family members who don't know Jesus. And ultimately, the hard and harsh truth is what's waiting is an eternity in hell. And I think the world looks and they think that we have fun when we talk about that, right? That we're like, oh, they're getting what's coming to them. But I think the words of D.L. Moody uh, really express all of our feelings, but truly my feeling this morning is he says this, I cannot preach on hell unless I preach with tears. And the reason for that is because we have a love for those people. I don't think any of us in this room sit and we want people to go to hell. And as we look at judgment and we look at the gift we've been given, we see that there's a responsibility that we have. As we've been given this gift, as we have the gospel truth, as we have the key to salvation, which is knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have the responsibility. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this natural reaction to the, this judgment that's coming. And I think a lot of times what we do is we despair, right? We see people who are not living for Christ. We see people who are hurting. We see people who reject the truth of the gospel. And we don't know what to do, right? We just sit and like, oh, well, we just got to let them live their lives. Hopefully they'll figure it out someday. Or maybe they'll ask me about it. Maybe they'll, be, they'll, they'll want me to talk about it to them. They'll come and ask me. And Paul says there's a very different reaction that he has. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 9, it says this. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And so he's talking about this idea of at home or away. He's talking about whether we're dead and we're with Christ Jesus in our home, or whether we're alive and we're living on earth in this alien world that does not belong to us, right? This sinful world that is unrighteous and filled with people who live against God. He says, whether I'm at home with Christ or I'm here in the world, it's my aim to please God. And in verse 10, he says this, For you must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done, In the body, whether good or evil. And it's so interesting here because his immediate response after talking about the judgment seat is not about him. It's not about his excitement and his hope that's coming. He knows that. He has that hope. But his immediate response is this in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope 
it is known also to your conscience. He says, I look and I see this judgment seat and I know that the Lord will, will judge. He is righteous. He is true. He is just. You know what? That's terrifying. It's terrifying for me because I know that I have not worked. I have not done all things. I have not earned my spot in heaven, but I have salvation through Christ Jesus. I have this hope, but it's terrifying because I look and I see a multitude of other people who do not know and who will be judged righteously, justly, and be sent to an eternity in punishment. He says, this judgment is coming, and so what I'm going to do, what my life is, what I'm striving to do in face of this judgment is to persuade others to salvation, to help them see the value of a life with Christ, to help them see the truth that is the gospel, to help them see that we love them and that we care for them and that love and care for them means helping them see the truth that God offers in Scripture. Right? There is this moment where judgment is this beautiful yet terrifying thing. Because we know that we're saved, but we see others who are being judged according to their lack of faith. And in this moment, I'm thankful for my own salvation, but I feel the burden, the responsibility to preach the gospel to those who don't know. And this is the hard reality of judgment. And I pray that this morning, as you hear this truth, that you feel that same responsibility. That you feel that same burden of this thankfulness for the salvation you've been given, but of this desire to see people saved for the gospel. Because there is a multitude of people in our lives who we have the ability to reach. That we have the ability to share the gospel with that a lot of us are choosing not to that we haven't been praying for, that we haven't been trying to have spiritual conversations with. Maybe you don't know how to share the gospel. You don't know how to articulate it in words. But this is an opportunity for us to look and say, I need to learn. I need to figure out. Maybe I need to ask some questions. And so this morning, as we continue our gathering afterwards and we have this time of of celebration as a family, the question that I want us to wrestle with and for us to think about is, who do we know that needs to be here? Who do we know that needs to know the gospel? Who do I know that maybe I need to pray for this week and devote myself to being prayerful for them? Who do I know that I need to share the gospel with? And I encourage you, maybe don't think about a multitude of people. Maybe just think about one person. 
Who's one person this week that you can pray for? Pray that they know Jesus. Who's one person this week that you can maybe ask, hey, do you know what it means to follow Jesus? And have a conversation. Because this morning, as we look at the glory, at the awesome moment that is this judgment before God, there should be a sense of thankfulness as we leave encouraged because we're excited about the hope that we have, but also a sense of excitement to share the good news of Christ. Our responsibility, but a joy that we have an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with others. Let's pray.